Hello, friends, and welcome to the Midpacker Pod, part of the Free Trail Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Troy Meadows, and I am stoked to bring you informative and relatable content from people just like you, everyday runners pushing their boundaries and doing extraordinary things on and off the trails. Today on the pod, I am excited to bring you a conversation with Katra Corbett. Katra is an author, dog mom, ultra runner, and advocate for substance recovery. In our conversation, we unpack Katra's history with running, her book, Reborn on the Run, and some of the epic adventures that she she highlights in the book. We also talk about running with your pups and some best practices for making sure your doggos stay, stay healthy for years to come as your favorite running partner. We also dive into Catra's running calendar for 2024, and all I have to say is, wowzers, this woman really gets after it. You have to check out the show notes for the full list. Lastly, we discuss some of Catra's secrets for longevity in the sport and what she does to continue to run ultras year after year as she approaches 60. I really enjoyed sitting down with the Queen of 200s. Her story is amazing, and I hope you glean a few words of wisdom. I surely did from this conversation. Okay, before we get to today's show, here are all the ways that you can support the pod. Join the Midpacker Pod Patreon. For just a buck a month, you can directly support all the work that I put into the show. That's only 25 cents an episode. You can find a link in the show notes to sign up. Leave the pod a rating and review. You can leave a rating and review for each episode, so keep those five stars coming. Tell your friends about the pod. Word of mouth is the single best way you can help spread the word. Okay, lastly, are you looking for help accomplishing your ultra running goals? Let's talk. I am still looking for a few more athletes to work with for the 2024 season. If you are looking for a coach with a mid-packer perspective that can help you balance all of life's needs and get you fit so you can show up ready to rock on race day, I would love to help you with your ultra running journey. You can find a link to schedule a free X exploratory call with me in the show notes all right all right all right thanks for entertaining my rambling now let's get to the show with katra corbett all right friends welcome back to the midpacker pod i am here with katra corbett katra how you doing today i am doing excellent how are you doing uh no no yeah no complaints at all um you know, it's it's been a wild week for me, and uh, I'm excited to to unpack a lot. I mean, you've been in the sport for a long time. You've got, uh, I hope, lots of words of wisdom for the audience, um, and I'm I'm excited to unpack a lot of stuff, especially uh, your race calendar coming up later this year. But before we kind of dive into all that, I'll, I'll ask you the the question I ask all my guests to start off the pod. You know, who is who is Katra Corbett? Who is Katra Corbett? She is. Wild and crazy, uh, confident, um, epic, and does whatever she wants. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Just, I, I love your use of the word and epic, too. I don't care too. what people think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's an important trait to have in this in this day and age as well. And and honestly, um, it's refreshing. You know, it's uh, it's important to to do you and and understand who you are, you know, and in general, like for, for everyone and, and not get like hung up with the, the, like, what, 
what does everyone think about what I'm doing? You know, I think that's just uh, that that's a really awesome outlook and framework to have for for interacting with the world. So, yeah, I don't I don't care. <laughs> I think that. that when you're younger, you kind of do, you know, and as you get older, you don't really give a shit. Love that. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just dive right into um, a little bit of your backstory. Like what. What was it ultimately that got you into the trails? I mean, for any, for any of the listeners, if you don't know who Katra is, you've been living under a rock. And like, if you want to see like the most epic, uh, ultra sign up scroll, just, just go, just go look up her name. Cause she's been, she's been running ultras. Um, gosh, I'm it's, it's, it's still going. But you, yeah. Since 98. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and, and, and you, and you're a prol- prolific runner, you know, like I, I hate to say racer, but like you, you've run a lot of ultras and, um, and it, it's, it's, it's just, it's really refreshing to, to see. And, and I'm excited to kind of unpack a lot of things, um, especially like your longevity in the sport. But, um, you know, going back to the original question, what was it that, that initially got you onto the trails? So initially, even just to back a little bit, um, even running, um, I got clean and sober. I got arrested in 1994 and, I was selling math and doing drugs and hanging out in the golf scenes, really into dancing, partying. I worked in a hair salon. My boyfriend was in a golf band, the whole nine yards. Um, and so I ended up getting arrested and just took those couple of nights of spending the night, couple of nights in jail. That kind of scared me straight. I had to like look at myself mm. and say, well, how did I get here? Like, what, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I wasn't raised this way or whatever. So, um, I got sober, was going to an outpatient program as part of my drug diversion and seeing a therapist. And I started going to the gym. I thought I need to do something. You know, I can't just sit around all day. I can't hang out with these people that I was hanging out with. I can't be going to the clubs. I mean, I did kind of go back into the club scene, but realized I can't do this. I can't be around drunk people. I can't be around people on drugs, you know, because it was all part of my um, drug diversion. And I couldn't even drink alcohol. I was like, you know, after the the second time I went to court, they were like, yeah, you can't even drink. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I realized, yeah. So I started working out in a gym and I did that for about two years and I would walk. I had a like a, a three mile route that I would walk with one of my dachshunds back then. I had a little mini dachshund. And um, one day I just decided to run it. And so I run ran this three mile loop and. This is before ultra sign up, before like social media, before all of that. So, and it was in 96 and, um, I was in Barnes and Nobles and there was a flyer for uh 10K, which is like less than two weeks after I started running. So I decided to sign up for this 10K and I asked my mom if she wanted to walk the 5K. And so she did. And so, um, I did it and I, you know, I didn't know anything about pacing, didn't, had only been running a couple of weeks and was like ran really fast. Thought I was going to throw up, thought I was going to pass out. I didn't like, you know, know anything. So I got back to the vehicle and on my car was a, a flyer for the San Francisco marathon. And that was in three months. And so I decided, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. And I knew about Boston and, you know, New York. And, you know, my dad was a runner when I was growing up. And um, so and he had run a marathon before he passed away. So I, I knew it was like, you know, 20 something miles. And so I asked a friend, my friend, Kevin, and he didn't run. I, at this point, I wasn't hanging out with anybody that 
exercise around and he's like, oh, it's like 26.2. So I decided I was going to run this marathon and I didn't know, you know, how was I going to train for it? I mean, like I said, there was no internet and we have so much to look at and to be able to help us, you know, all these tools. But back then you didn't, it was like, okay, I got, I guess I got to buy a book, how to run a marathon, you know, how to train. So I bought a book and I had to skip up to the chapter to where it said three months, what you should be doing as your training run. So this is before like our fancy Coros watches and all of that. So I had to get in my little vehicle because it said I had to run nine miles on Sunday and I had to push the odometer and I got in the car and I drove three and a half miles out and I realized, okay, I mean, four and a half miles out. And then I knew where I was going to have to turn around, you know, because I was doing it out and back. And so I was like, okay, there's a gas station here. I'll know that when I get to the gas station, I just bring back home. So that's how I kind of started my training. So it it started from there. And I didn't know about ultras at that point. So I ran my marathon. And in the middle of my marathon, I met this guy. And I was like thinking to myself, oh, you know, because I went to the expo and there was like people from the Honolulu marathon there. And I thought, oh, I'm going to run Honolulu. So I'm running with this man and he had dropped out of the San Francisco marathon. It was that I was doing the San Francisco marathon as my first marathon. And he, he was telling me, I go, he goes, is this your first marathon? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, he goes, oh, I attempted it last year and I dropped out. And I go, oh, really? And then he goes, yeah, you know, the hills or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, I'm already going to sign up for the Honolulu marathon. And he goes, how could you be talking about running another marathon? We're 10 <laughs> miles in to this race. But that's my personality. So I ended up finishing and I thought, my, you know, my legs were dead. Like right after I finished, I could hardly walk. And it's so funny to me now because we do that in training. So I decided to do the Honolulu Marathon that same year. It was a few months later. And I just got this wild idea. I was going to do every marathon in California the next year. And this is, you know, after only running like less than a year. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to run all these marathons in California. And I don't know how many there were at the time, but there was a lot of trail marathons. So I signed up for my first trail marathon, which was in the Marin Headlands in San Francisco. And so I had been running all these road marathons. I, I think I did like 15, 10, 15 road marathons at this point. And I knew nothing about like, you know, I was used to like one every mile or every few miles, you're going to have a water station running on the road. So, you know, I'm reading the description on this flyer, like, you have to carry like a water with you, waste pack. We didn't even have hydration vests back then. Sure. And I was like, oh, I got to carry water with me. So I bought like some kind of like fuel belt thing with the water bottle. And so anyways, I go to the start of this thing and they actually postpone it because it was. So the day I showed up, it was pouring rain. They had like wind advisories, this, that, and the other. And I showed him and my mom came with me. She was just going to hang out. She had been coming to all my marathons with me. And she was like, I'll just do my taxes in the car and whatever. And she goes, you're not going to run in this. And I said, yes, I am. Like I was ready to run in it. So the race director came around to everybody's vehicles and he's like, we have to cancel the race and we're going to send you, you know, we'll send you information when we're going to postpone it or we're going to have it like in a month and a half or whatever. But with the the park won't let us have the race. So I'm driving home pouring rain and um, 
I get home and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to run a, I'm going to run a marathon today. I'm trying to run a marathon. I did my carbo load <laughs> and my mom, you know, I'm getting ready. And my mom's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to run a marathon. And I had a 13 mile route. So I knew I could just run that twice and I'd get a marathon, you know, that I had been training. And she's like, you're going out in that rain? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon today. So I'm going to run a marathon today. So off I went. So anyways, a month and a half later comes this trail race. And um, I know this is a long winded story about how I got into trail oh, running. So, <laughs> but so I show up and I'm like, okay, off we go. And oh my God, you know, I hadn't trained on any trail. So it's like up and down the Marin Headlands, if you know the area, a lot of people do. And they yeah. have had, you know, I've run lots of races there since then. But I was just like, what? You know, and I was a road runner. So, of course, you're not going to walk anything, not even the steepest hill, you know, like you're pushing <laughs> yourself. And so it was Classic. two loops. So I get done the first loop and my mom's like, oh, thank God you're done. And I'm like, no, I'm not done. I have to go one more time. And she's like, why is it taking you long? So I ended up finishing like in five and a half, 545 or six hours, something like that. And I was doing marathons in like four hours. And she's like, that took forever. And I'm like, you know what? It was all hilly. It was like, and I was afraid I was going to get lost, you know? So I, and they had no, they had like two water stops out there on each loop. Like you could get water from spigots and they just had like cookies on the ground with some Gatorade bottles, like sitting on a table. So I learned very quickly, like I was prepping to run all trails out there. You know, I learned real quick. So I started running all of these other races and this, organization was called enviro sports they put on all these trail races so i started running a lot of their races yep. so and that same year no it was the next year so i did all these marathons in california i didn't do all of them but i did i don't i think i did like 20 marathons or 18 marathons that year it was a lot so and at that point i had been doing back-to-back -back runs so there was a couple of times that i did a marathon on a saturday and then drove like out to Sacramento to do a road marathon on a Sunday, you know? So then I kept hearing these people on the trail talking about these ultra marathons. And I was like, what the heck is that? What are they talking about? You know, 50 K. I don't, I can't comprehend. I didn't know what, what kilometers were. And I said, Hey, what, what's that? What are you talking about? And they said, Oh, ultra marathons are, you know, distances of like 50 K. And I was like, well, how far is that? And I'm like 31 miles you know, 50 miles, 100K, and 100 miles. And I was like, 100K, and they're like 62 miles. And then in my head right away, I was like, 50K, that's all, that's not that much further than 26 miles. 31 miles is not that much further. Yeah. So I was like, oh, a light bulb went on. And I was like, okay, now I got to find out where one of these are. <laughs> you know, in 1998, I like signed up for my first 50K. And it was like 105 degree. I mean, it was like... I wasn't used to running in the heat and humidity and all of that, you know, like now Not it's funny looking it? back because I've done bad water a few times. And like, I love the heat. I, you know, live for that. But back then, what, 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 was, <laughs> what, was, what was, what was the, what was your first ultra Catra? Skyline 50 K. Um, and it's okay. in yeah, classic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually, yeah. So at the time there was only so many ultras in California and that was like, you know, in the Bay area, Everybody ran the same, like, well, in California, you run all the, ran all the same races. There was just yep. these classic races. So Skyline 50K is a classic still happening now. So, so that was my first one. And it was so freaking hot. And out of the gate, you know, I'm just like running. I'm running all the hills. And, you know, and 
I hear these, you know, mile five, I hear, I'm running around this group of older guys and they're like, is this your first ultra? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking, why is everybody walking every fucking hill? Like every single hill. And they're like, you should probably walk the hills. And I'm like, these guys don't, I'm a runner. I'm not walking any hill. <laughs> so, you know, by the time I got to like mile 22, I was like dying. It was so hot. And they all like passed me, like flying by me. They're all, see, you should have walked the hills. And I was just like so mad. Told I'm all, you. All these old men. You know, I became friends with all these old guys after, you know, they were part of my like people I started running with. So, you know, I, I finished and I was just like, my legs were dead. And, you know, I hadn't been doing any kind of climbing like that other than my few, you know, like I had did six or seven trail races and, but this was, you know, hard and it, I've never ran in the heat like that, you know? So I finished and immediately I was like, okay, I got to sign up for a 50 mile, you know? So I signed up for this 50 miler. And it was, they only had it a couple of times. It was called Napa 50 miler and it was in a horrible storm, like really bad storm. So I ran this race. It was like pouring, you know, it was like hailing. It was like flooded trail, really bad. And so the race director at the start, he's like, you know, anybody that wants to drop down to the 50K can drop down now, or you can drop down in the middle because the weather was so bad. He wasn't, he was going to let people drop without giving him a DNF down to the shorter distance. I told myself, I'm doing this. So I'm running along, you know, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, I didn't have like a nice rain jacket back then. I knew nothing. I was still a, a little baby ultra runner, you know? So I ended up finishing it. I came in last because there was only like seven or 10 people that finished the 50 miler. And I was so proud of myself because the last like hour, the sun came out and it was like just meant to be. And I was like almost done. And I was like, you know, if I didn't, if I would have not run this far, I wouldn't have saw that the weather was going to get better or whatever. And I had been talking to this man that during the race and he's, was an old school all runner at the time. I didn't know him, but he was talking about, you know, a hundred milers. And I said, well, I'm going to run one of those. If I fin can finish this, I'm going to sign up for one of those. Cause in my head, I didn't think, you know, after I started reading about ultras, I was like, Oh no, you have to run a hundred miler. Cause that's, that's an ultra runner. Like th these, this is just yeah. like little stepping stones. So I hadn't even run a hundred K. I just went right straight to the marathon. I actually did another 150 miler in between and then quad dipsy as a training run for my hundred miler. So within like four months, um, Rocky raccoon showed up, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. I got to look to see when the next hundred miler is. Cause I didn't, you know, I only knew, I kept hearing people talk about the Western States, you know? And so I knew that was, you know, the one that everybody was running. So I looked in ultra running magazine was black and white back then. And you had, so this is how you wow. sign, signed up for races. They had, the applications in Ultra Running Magazine, that is where you got an application yep. and you mailed in your little check and that's how we did it. So, and they would have like a overview of whatever race was coming up. So there obviously wasn't that many races back then. So it would have a, a whole thing about Rocky Raccoon about the race. And then there was the application at the end of the little story about the race. And so I was like, okay, that's the one I'm running. It's, it's the next one that's coming up. So. That was my first hundred. <laughs> so I signed well, up for that. With 
Oh no, I just want to say, I just want to ask, like, where does the tenacity come from, Katra? Because like you kind of like obviously like you know you 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 found running as a way to to kind of like move on from a phase of your life, right? And yeah. like running then became like a big part of your life, which it does for a lot of us. Yeah. But like it the there's a through line here with like kind of the early years for you is like you, you did a lot of hard things, right? Like between yeah. the storms and like, and just jumping feet first into a 50 miler and just being like, no, no, I'm going to finish this. Like it, there was, it didn't seem like, it seems to me like the way you're retelling the story that there was never like a moment where you're like, Oh, I'm stopping. Like I'm going to finish this. Where, where does that kind of st- like mental strength come from? At least from someone who like it at the time, like, yes, you have a lot of, of, of marathons under your belt, but but, you know, you don't have a lot of ultras. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people just kind of struggle with uh, in general is like, how do you have that mental fortitude to, to, to finish, you know, when it gets really, 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 really hard? I think for me, like going through my sobriety journey and having to mm. go through all of that and then um, bring up past stuff, because obviously you don't wake up and say, you know, as a kid, I'm going to be a drug addict and an alcoholic. That's what I want to strive sure. for in life. So yeah. to me, it's always there's an underlying issue. It's like, why are we doing this? You know? And so for me, there was underlying issues. I had uh, been abused, sexually abused by a family member. And so going through mm-hmm. that whole journey and getting therapy for that, I think helped me be able to move into how I became as a person more confident, being able to to talk about these things, hard things that people don't want to address. But getting sober, I mean, I couldn't have gotten sober had I not gone through and discussed all that and worked through that, you know, and figured out, you know, obviously I didn't want to be a drug addict. These are things that happened to help me, you know, it was helping mask these bigger issues that I had growing up that I didn't share with anybody. So, and I think that's where that stemmed from. I became more confident running brought me to where I was confident because I was in horrible relationships with the person that I was on drugs with. I was in a, a physically and mentally abusive relationship before that person with somebody else for a long time. And so I think breaking free of all of that and just being alone with myself and learning to be comfortable and love myself, that really made a huge difference. So I was alone through this whole journey. I didn't have friends that were ultra runners or anything. So it was something that I did for me and that it just made me really confident. And then, I mean, if you probably talk to other people, they would say the same thing. Once they got through something, they you just become confident. And I think a lot of it, it has to do with you know, I'm just stubborn, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I mean, I grew up, my mom was this short little Italian lady and she was tough. Like my dad did not wear the pants in the family. And I think from both of them, I felt my father was an athlete. So I feel like a lot of that, even going through my, my whole ultra running journey, he had passed away when I was 17 of a massive heart attack. So that having had him be a runner and, you know, try to get, he used to try to get me to run and I played soccer and I would not run. I was I hated it. Like I hated it, but he was the president from Fremont city soccer. So he decided he was going to make me play soccer to be more interactive with the like, groups of people instead of just doing like dance class and single stuff. And my brother was like the athlete. So doing, you know, once I got into, you know, 
I hated running. And it was, it's funny now because my mom used to be like, you hated it. Your dad would be so proud of you right now. And I said, he would be out here with me. He would be, you know, yeah. coaching me. He would be, you know, crewing me or whatever. So I think when I started my altar journey, it was kind of, I used him and felt like taking him. He was always with me in my heart, you know, as I was mm. running. And when I was doing that hundred miler, it was horrible weather. It was raining too. And it was like my feet swelled. I had blisters and I used him. I was like, my dad would be so proud of me, you know, hate, growing up hating running. And he look at me now. He's watching me and he's helping me, you know? So I think it comes from that. And now my mom had passed away in 2002. And so I always say I have all these angels that help me. So when I'm out, you know, in the middle of a race and I'm struggling, I'll use people like that. Friends that have passed away. My sister was a drug addict. She sure. passed away. And I use them. I go, who am I going to have pace me in this section right now? Who in my family could I communicate mentally mm. with right now? That, And I kind of go through these little things in my head, like as if they were with me and were out there together. So I, you know, we use whatever we use to get us to keep going. And the more I run, the longer distances I run, it, that gets harder for a lot of people. But for me, having that and using like in my head going, I'm paying to do this and I shouldn't complain when there's people complaining, you know, when you're running a race, some people will be like, this sucks or I'm having a hard time, you know, or whatever they're complaining. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you paid to do this. Why are you complaining? You shouldn't be out here if you're complaining. And what I do is I utilize like my friends that have died of cancer or people that left us all too soon. And I use them and say, you know what? They wish they were still alive and they would trade places with me in a heartbeat. Mm. Or if I have a friend that's sick. Yeah, and yeah. I utilize it. And it just so happens to be when I do these grand things, there's always like something happens to somebody. Maybe I didn't know them that well or whatever. And I utilize them to take them on my journey, you know? So, but I think that's a, yeah, a big no, that, part of it is being grateful. I get that. That's the bottom line. The word grateful. You should be grateful that you're out there, that you have your body that can propel you, you, you know, sure. It's, it gets painful for me. Don't get me wrong. Like it gets, it's like, what the heck am I doing out there? Why do I keep pushing myself like this? What am I doing? You know, it's like, but that only lasts a certain period of time. You're just struggling. And when we struggle, we make up shit in our head, you know, and you got that good person, evil, good and evil on your shoulders. And one's going, Oh, this is horrible. You shouldn't be doing this. You should and the other one's like, yes, you can do it. You can do it. You're fine. You know, so it's those little voices. And I and I try to get that negative one and I just throw it away and be like, hey, get away from me right now. And negative voice and just go, you know, it's going to be better in a day. You know, if it's a 200 miler or 50 miles from now, you're going to be laughing, you know. Chrissy and Nikki and Rory and Courtney and Katie and... Jim, what do these names all have in common? They have all finished first place in that one race that circumnates, circumnavigates the Mount Blanc Massif. At RTL, we are paying homage to the U.S. ladies who have consistently showed up in Europe time and time again to become champions at one of the biggest stages in ultra running. Go check out our U.S. European Champions tea. This 100% organic tea comes in many different colors. I am personally rocking the white, but the lavender blank looks super fresh too. Also, we recently added a slew of new 
T-Colors for our original designs as well. So definitely check those out. As always, we donate $1 of every product ordered to Runners for Public Lands, and shipping is always free. If you use code VIDPACKERPOD, I will double your order donation. Go visit runtraillife.com and check out our Europeans Champions tea now. Well, I love that you say that because that's, that's something that that came to mind. Like whenever I'm in a really low part, low point, um, I love to say like it can always get better. You yeah. know, like it's you always like instead of thinking like it can it, it's going to get worse. You know, which is ne- definitely not going to help you. Like no. you, you know, it can always get better. And then one thing I love to say to aid station workers, because um, usually like when you're in a low point, you come into the aid station. They're always like, "How are you doing?" You know, and it's like the one thing like I tell my crew all the time, like, "Don't ever ask me how I'm how I'm doing. Ask me what I need." You know, yeah. but whenever they ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm always like questioning my life decisions. Like, can I, can, can, can I, can you fill this with Coca-Cola please, you know, or whatever. But I love like, and to me, it's always like tongue in cheek. Cause I'm just trying to yeah, like, you're just la- like, you're, like you're talking about like, yeah, making fun of it. trying to reframe it, trying to say like, you know, you, you get to do this, exactly. you know, basically like, you know, the gratitude is really real in those, in those it instances. Is. And I'm glad to like, you mentioned some of the trauma that you've dealt with. Cause I think that's something that, um, you know, I, I can resonate with that as someone who's lost a parent and then ultimately, um, just had to work through that. And maybe and when it happened, yeah. didn't necessarily have the best coping strategies mm-hmm. for it. And that's ultimately how I found, how I found running. I like, I lost my mother, uh, my mother, my mother passed away and my dog died in my arms within like a week of the, and I, and I turned 30 all in the same oh. week, basically. Yeah. And then I basically, I started, I quit smoking cigarettes and started running like a week later, yeah. you know? And so it was kind of like, I had to have, yeah, but I had to have that, like, and I shut it all down. And then it ultimately like years later is when I really had to like, really start like working through exactly. and processing some of, some of that trauma. And it sounds like you, I mean, yep. I, I'm, I'm um, always working. Through yeah. It. And everyone's trauma is, is theirs, yeah. you know? Yeah. 100%. It, I tell people all the time, it gets easier. It never it goes does. away. It does. You know? It just so, gets easier. You're yeah. right. And it never goes away, but you know, it's like, you can reflect back and it's like at the time when something, an, an event like that happens, losing a parent, losing an animal, losing a best friend, losing whatever. It's like, you feel like it's never going to be okay, but it does get easier. Mm, it may take yeah. a long time. It All of our like journeys, it takes it however long, you know, the processing of grief, you know, it's like never going to be over, but it gets easier you know, as time goes on and then you could start reflecting on better memories instead of having the sadness when it happened, you know, it's like, then you can move forward and be like, not just focusing on that, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think actually, so this is probably a good place to like move into, into reborn on the Mm -hmm. run. Right. And like, and move into the book for a little bit and then we can kind of double back onto some of the fun adventures that you're doing and, 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 and all that stuff a little in a little bit, but um, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the book. No, so, we gotta talk about it. uh, tell the audience. Yeah, like, exactly. We definitely have to talk about it. And I think some of the stuff that we just talked about, like kind of plays into, in, into, um, you know, the through line that you have going on in yeah. the book. And, and so, um, you know, why, you know, why, why write reborn, reborn on the run? I wanted to tell my story and I knew it would help people, especially there wasn't a lot of the books were written by men. So this is, yeah. Sure. And I was like, we need 
a female, you know, and people would always say, tell me, you should write a book. You should write a book. You should write a book. Because I always have these stories and we're out running and I'm telling a story of some crazy thing that happened to me or, you know, whatever. And so I worked with an, you know, because I'm like, how am I going to write a book? I'm not going to sit down. You know, I was working full time at Whole Foods at the time. And I hired a writer to work with me because a, a, a literary agency came to me and said, have you thought about writing a book? And I said, actually, I have. But the process, you know, and so they said, we have writers you can use or you can hire a writer. And this guy, Dan England, at the time came out and followed me around at a race and was writing an article for a magazine about me. And I really liked his style. I connected with him and I said, well, can I hire somebody else and pay him to do, help me? And they're like, absolutely. So we got together and we talked and he never wrote a book. And I mean, he's a writer, but it was a long process. I mean, we finished it within six months, sure. I guess, or seven months. But so what I did is writing it, we would go through like what the ch we had everything outlined. So we knew what we were, what the book was going to be about. And it was all me and him going back to back and forth together. And so each chapter I would record like on my runs because <laughs> I was like, I mm. can't sit down. And I mean, I would sit down and record stuff, too. But so I knew each each time I go out, like what I was going to be right talking about in my chapter. So basically that's how we did it. And then he would just transcribe it and write it down, you know? So that's what we went through. And I wanted to tell my story because I knew it would help people. Cause there was a lot of things that people didn't talk about, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, um, you know, going to jail, things that maybe a lot of people can't talk about because of their family situation their jobs. And I totally get it because I get people that, you know, message me all the time saying, you know, I, I appreciate what you've talked about. I can't talk about this, in, you know, in a, a platform like you do, but it really has helped me. And it's great to see I'm not alone, you know, kind of thing for somebody else to be talking about it when yeah. they can't. And I totally get that. So, and when I would, when people would write, interview me for articles, my mom, when she was alive, she'd get so mad. She goes, why do you have to tell everybody you were a drug addict? Why do you have to always talk about that? You're not on drugs anymore. You're not drinking. I go, because it's yeah. going to help somebody. And, and uh, deep down inside, I always wished that I could have helped my sister who died of an overdose in 2004. And she mm -hmm. used to come to me and she said, I don't understand why I can't get it. And she, my mom would put her in all kinds of programs. She was a heroin addict. And she would get sober for a while and then go right back to the same person she was dating or, you know, and get back out there. And so, you know, and I always wish that she would have gotten it. And I kept telling her, you, when she'd asked me that question, how, how can you do it? And why can't I do it? And I said, you got to find a passion. And it's like, you got to find something because yeah. she wasn't doing it for her. She, you know, had kids adopted out, you know, it was just, she was living on the streets. It was just really sad. And I always, I, I feel like talking about this, maybe it will help somebody else. And so their, you know, their journey can end without an overdose and living on the streets like she did. So, I mean, I know she's safe now. She's up above watching over me. And, you know, she always was proud of me. That's one thing she used to always tell me. I'm so proud of you. You know, it's like she'd come over mm -hmm. and visit us and we'd have to like watch her like a hawk because you can't press a drug addict but she was a kind of drug addict she would still yeah. give you what she had off of her back i mean she was still still yeah, don't you, get me wrong you could, but and i thought you can trust the person you can't exactly, trust the drugs exactly 
So, and she used to always tell me how proud she was. And so then I decided, you know what, I do have to write about things. I have to write about hard things because I know it's going to help me further. And I feel like going back and writing this, it's like I had to go back and relive all of these things, which made it pretty hard. And it actually helped ease more of ish traumas that I didn't realize I still had, you know, going to therapy and went back into therapy. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought I was okay, but I wasn't when I have to talk about it again, but it was more healing for me. And so, like I said, I knew I wanted to, you know, bring it up. And so to help other women and to show other women, you know, not just on that, you know, so I talk about being on drugs and all that, but just showing how I grew up non-runner, hated running, hated exercise, got an F in PE because I was that little chick that was like, you know, punk rock, goth. And I'm like, I'm not dressing. Like I had an attitude like, and they're like, well, you have yeah. to. And I'm like, I'm not. And, you know, so I would just cut PE. I wouldn't even go to class. So I got an F in PE. <laughs> and my mom's like, how do you get an F in PE? And I'm like, cause I don't go. <laughs> And and here you, I, I think you, I think right now you have like the most hundred mile finishes of any female, like on the planet at this point. Right. I so, <laughs> um, I love, so yeah, I just want to say, I love that you, the way that you created the content or started the rough draft for, you know, for the chapters for reborn on the run was to do it through like stream of consciousness on the law, lo- on a long yeah. run or on a run. And that's kind of, it's interesting because like, that's also where, a lot of people talk about finding like really good creativity. And that's also where like your mind, you're able to access things when you're running in your mind that just, if, if you're sitting there standing in front of the computer and you're like, I got to write this, like it may, it may not necessarily be there for you unless like you are quote unquote a writer. But what most people don't realize is like writers like go through extensive research on the topic in order to like, ingrain these things that they want to talk about in their head and for you you're having to like pull them out of not necessarily like repress uh, repress thoughts because like you work through that through you know you work through bringing that trauma up but like man what all i just I, i'm gonna i'm gonna stop talking here but like what a great way to to really like bring that into the world by recording that while you're running that's that's a that's, really that's an amazing like insight said, on, on how the book so got. much and then going through like the loss of my mom, the loss of my sister, you know, and losing my dad when I was younger. And it was just like going into that and reliving that was really good because then it helped me heal a little bit more, you know, and then just all my crazy stories of like going through things like people are like, why would you hike the PCT? Well, basically I was going through a divorce, you know, my ex-husband, I was married and, I, I went out on the because people are like, why would you do the PCT? None of my running friends at the time, like now everybody does the PCT, but this is an 07. Back then, we didn't have Gaia maps. We didn't have uh, Far Out. That's what it's called now. So what we did is we took the guidebooks and we would, you bought like two two guidebooks. One was from for California section. Actually, there was three. California section. Oregon, and then Washington. And you rip the pages out of your section so you would know where to go and read up. And so these guidebooks were kind of detailed, like we didn't have maps to show you where the water sources were, like when you were in the middle of the desert. So you would have to read and they would be written out by, I forget who the guidebook authors were, 
and it would say, make a right here, go downhill a half a mile, blah, blah, blah. And so that's how you would find out where to go to get to your water. So you took your section and you would just put whatever section you needed in your box that you were having somebody send out to you. And I had my friend sending me all my boxes. So when I'd get through a section, then I would just burn or throw away my my section that I already went through. So, yeah, but now it's so much more easier that people can just like use their phone and they rely on their phone too much is the problem. If you you lose your phone or something happens, you're going to be in trouble out on the trails because I meet people all the time and I'm like, you should carry a paper map too. So when I go running, I mean, I have Gaia maps and I, when I'm out in the you know wilderness and even though where I know where I'm going, if something happens and I have to get out, go over a pass, you know, so, who knows, you know, what could happen. I always carry a map of the section I'm at. Like when I go up Bishop Pass, I've been up there hundreds of times since I've lived here. And I still like have the map because it's like, what if something happens, you know, or I need to give somebody directions or maybe they need it, you know, and I, I God forbid, you know, somebody gets lost out there. But, yeah. 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 Well, so. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to say the art of being able to use a map and compass is, is slowly dying. And it's something that, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate having that skill to be honest with you. Yeah, so, it's, like, it's good to have. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I was like, I, I planned on trying to do the AT and I, it was the same process for me because this is back in the early aughts when I was thinking about doing it. Um, and it was the same thing. Like I had a laptop and I could do some research online, but for the most part, like there wasn't Matt, you know, there, the, the iPhone had just been, ex- it, you know, it was kind of very new. And so everything was, <laughs> was guidebooks and, and, and a yeah, lot of research yeah. and a lot of like kind of knowing the route and just like really understanding the route and piecing maps together and, and, and all that stuff. And, you know, at least with the through hikes, like if you want to get up and down the AT or up and down the PCT, you know, they're pretty well marked as far as trails go. But if you want yeah. to do any kind of exploring off of them, which a lot of people like to do while they're doing it, like you need to kind of know where you are, you know? So Yeah, yeah. and you need to have a map. Well, even when I did the PCT, there was a lot of areas that you didn't know where to go. I mean, it's a lot better now. But, you know, the the signposts weren't there or things weren't there. And you come to a section and you're like, oh, which way do I go? You know, and there was always somebody with a Sharpie that's putting an arrow PCT on something, you know, which they shouldn't. We should be able to know. So I would stop and look at my map to figure out where to go, you know. But I think people there's so nowadays with the PCT, AT, Colorado Trail and all that, there's a lot more people that shouldn't be out there because they're relying just on their technology to get them through and they have money and they can buy all these cool things. I mean, I should, I had no business, first of all, being out on the PCT when I was out there, but at least, you know, cause I on a whim decided to do it. Like, you know, now you have to go in the lottery to get, you know, a start date, this, that, and the other. I started the end of May. I decided three months before I'm going to do the PCT. I didn't know anybody that did it. I met some hikers. When I was running uh, the whole loop around Lake Tahoe once, I mean, the Tahoe Rim Trail. And, you know, so it was like meeting PCT hikers. I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And somehow somebody gave me a book on the PCT and I was like, I'm doing it. So, yeah, you know, I didn't really research it. But but that's kind of back in the day how you did it. You know, you you survive through shit, you know, to figure it out. You know, and we didn't have like an in-reach or, you know, there was no way of getting out. And, and I've done a lot of stuff, you know, before then, like doing, 
you know, a yo-yo on the JMT going for a record on the yo-yo, which it hasn't, nobody has broke that FKT that I did in 12 days, four hours and 57 minutes. There's two, a guy that tried it twice, but he stopped both times because who wants to go to the top of Whitney and turn around and go all the way back to Yosemite? Nobody in the right mind. <laughs> so back then there was payphone. So I called my husband when I was got to Red's Meadow. So he knew where I was coming. I was going to be in Tuolumne and his son was 15 or 14 at the time. And he was going to go the last 20 miles into Yosemite with me. So that was only communication. You know, if you ran behind, you were screwed. And I started running behind because I had such bad blisters yeah. on the way back. And I, you know, I thought it was going to be to Tuolumne a lot faster than I got there. And I was doing this push from Red's Meadow all the way into Tuolumne, with, I mean, to the finish with no sleep. So I'm already like lacking sleep and I get there in the dark and the, the grill's not open. And I just was dreaming about French fries for freaking days, hours. Like I want French fries, I want French fries. I stumble in in the dark and he's waiting over there and he's like, oh, the grills are closed. The grill's closed. And it's like, how would you tell him that I wanted French fries? I didn't know, you know, the, I yeah. could have told him when I called him. So, but yeah. Nowadays I mean, you can just send a text message, you know? Well, exactly. Or like when you have, like I carry a spot device when I'm out running yep. and my boyfriend, Phil, cause usually I'll get dropped off on one trailhead and then he'll like run into me or pick me up, but there's no way to communicate with him. I do have the mini in reach, but I, I usually just carry this spot with me. And because it's only like 30 miles that my run that I do and he will come into me and he can be, you know, he's doing his office work and he looks and okay, she's going to be there at this time because he can tell yeah. and then he'll run into me, you know, like five miles in to, and then run back out with me. So that's so convenient for people, <laughs> you know, and the in reach is even well, better because then you can text and all of that. So for safety reasons, yeah, but yeah, yeah when no, I, the, the, I had the none technology of that when I was doing days, stuff so. in 2004, yeah. like I was like nothing there was no you know you had the, the only place i could call anybody was at red's meadow or tuolumne like there was pay phones yeah. there and that was it there was that was the only communication oh. <laughs> so well now now nowadays if you ask like a, if you show like a 12 year old a pay phone they will look at you like what's that you know, I know. What I mean? like like, they, have what no, is it? they have no idea what that is it's like a it's like a prehistoric like, you didn't have a computer growing up it's like well no <laughs> Um, well, yeah, so reborn on the run, I will definitely make sure it's linked. We'll link to it in the show notes for mm -hmm. sure. Um, for anyone that's so interested, it has all kinds and, of great you know, stories, epic stories that I survived. Um, it has stories. Here's my back right here. And my little oh, nice. weenie dog that passed away is right down here. And there's a whole chapter to, um, Truman who ran five ultra marathons. So I always used him, uh, you know, when he was alive, I'd always be like this little guy ran 31 miles five times. So you have, Humans have no excuse. Eight pounds, eight and a half pounds with four inch legs. If he can do it, you can do it, kind of thing. So, <laughs> and yeah, now well, I have and my up and comer. Um, well, I was going to say, you know, we didn't really get a chance to talk about your mini dash hounds, but you know, they're yeah, like talk about them. They're always <laughs> they're always with you, you know, and you like to take them out on the runs. I think it's I think it's it's super cute. I think it's I mean, I find it hilarious because usually when people talk about like running dogs, it's like there's I can't remember the breed, but it's that one birding dog that everyone has, you know, yeah. it's like not oh, a Datsun, yeah. oh, you know, uh, and so uh, uh, yeah, what are they called? Uh, yeah, it, German short hair pointer. So that's what Forrester yeah. looks like, my current little guy. Because when I first got him as a puppy, people were like, oh, you got a German short hair pointer. 
And I go, no, it's a miniature toxin because he has that brown with the speckles. <laughs> right. And people thought, yeah. oh, she's getting a different kind of dog. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> he just has the same coloring. So, yeah, no, most I, people it's... don't associate dachshunds with running longer distance. I mean, you see them at the comical, like, halftime races or at the Oktoberfest where they're doing a little sprint, you know, and the yeah. thing to watch funny wiener dogs run, you know. And most people that know of wiener dogs, they, you know, growing up, the only wiener dogs I ever knew was my ex-boyfriend at the time. And they had like an old overweight wiener dog. You know, it's like you, most people see them as little chubby overweight dogs that eat a lot and bark a lot. So with Truman, after my dog Rocky passed away, I decided I didn't want to get another dog. So me and my old roommate, we decided we were going to foster. And I go, let's foster for dogs and rescue. So the first one that came, he adopted. And so we had like several come and then Truman came and he was afraid of everything. Like he hid under furniture. Like he came from a home of 22 dachshunds. She was a, you know, hoarder and she had to get rid of, obviously you're not supposed to have that many dogs. And he came and, you know, now I think, how do you decide who you're getting rid of? But anyway, so he came and I worked with him and I was like, okay, I'm going to get him prepped. And, more confident, get him, you know, try to get him to learn to walk on a leash because he had never walked on a leash. He was afraid of every noise, any noise he like hit. He would just not even run away. He would lock down into this position and just shake. Mm. And so I would try to take him out front for a walk. And I was like, cars, vehicles going by. He was so terrified. So one day I was like, okay, I'm going to drive over to the trailhead and, you know, Put it, take him off leash at the trailhead and see what happens and start just, you know, running and see what he does. So I took him off leash. We got to the trailhead. I started running and he immediately started running after me. And so we just were running. So I was running hiking because it's like a really hilly area. And I thought, I'll just take him out like a couple of miles and see what happens. And there's cows, there's people. And he was like, that was like, he became confident being out there. Like, a bicycle didn't really scare him. Other people didn't scare him. He ignored the cows and squirrels and didn't even, you know, care about that. So, and at the time I hadn't decided I was going to adopt him. And I was like, wow, I'm like, he, he's coming alive on the trail. So I started taking him all the time on the trail. And like, it was apparent to me when I would got ready to put him up on the website, you know, for, to adopt out, I was like, you know, I got his picture together. I was writing up his bio and I was like, what is, what are you doing? That guy is going to yeah. go live with somebody for the next six years of his life. He was six and a half when I got him six and a half years of his life. And he's going to be just sitting there. Like he needs to live. He's already lived for six and a half years well, in a house. Like he has come alive. So I, you know, he, he picked I, me. I, so I adopted him the, and he just went from there, like up and down Mission Peak. People would just be like, you can't run with those dogs or, you know, and then people were like, you're damaging him. And this back in the day, you know, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to shut these people down. I'm going to take them to the vet, have a spine x-ray, have x-rays. They told my vet, you know, that I had adopted him because I was bringing him there already for just because we had a special vet that we took all the rescues to. And he goes, well, he goes, I'm not used to knowing that these dogs can run. He goes, but you're a runner. And if you're keeping him low to the ground, he's not jumping on the furniture. He goes, yeah, let's X-ray him and see. And so 
I go, I'm basically doing it to shut people down. And I go, and it's probably good to know. And he goes, yeah, it's good to know if he has an underlying condition, if you're already going to start yeah. running and that we don't yeah. have a problem. And he goes, he's fine. You can, he can run. And so, and yeah. it was funny when I adopted him, he was like 12 pounds and the rest of his life, he was always like 9.7 pounds mm-hmm. or a little bit under. So <laughs> like, he was a he, little chunky. He got ultra. He, he got ultra lean, huh? <laughs> yeah, he was very lean, and so and he loved it. You know, it's like I well, when well, people would well, say, "Well, like Katra, do you see the do?" You, oh, I I just want to interject here and say, can you see the parallels between you finding your confidence on the trails and running, and and then and, Truman and Truman yeah, fi- exactly. do, doing finding it as well? I think it's just very interesting. And he was he kind of became like your running partner, your he ultra. Did. He ran three fifty k's with you for. So that's, that's just really, that's like really, really, really cool. He passed away and he was 16 and a half. He had congestive heart. He went into congestive heart failure. He went and we moved here. I always knew he had like a heart murmur and then it started progressing. And the vets here were like, you could still run him. I mean, eventually he's going to probably go, go into congestive heart failure, but there's, they never heard of a doctor running either. And my vet is a a runner too. And he ended up running ultra finally last year after Truman, passed away the year before i'm like dude you gotta run an ultra if truman's running 50ks he goes i know every time you, I, you could run a 50k yeah, and, he, and truman <laughs> went there like almost every month for the last year of his life because he was getting oh, treated a lot yeah and he goes yeah. yeah i gotta do it so he's an ultra runner now <laughs> truman i mean he was always a runner yeah. but he's like i changed my mind on how i view these kind of dogs like you know he goes it's the, the best thing is for them running as long as you take care of them you x-ray them and whatever. So all my dogs have gotten x-rays. And then of course I got Forrester and I would say Truman sent me him because he knew I needed another partner. But I, you know, it's like, how are you going to get another dog can that, that can run far like that? So the other two are fine. Like Whitney has run up to 17 miles and she has, she started having seizures last year. So she's on medication and I noticed it has slowed her down, but she'll still go out like on an eight to 10 mile run. We could take them all together. And that's what she's good for. She doesn't want to go that far anymore. You know, I can, I can tell the yeah. medication that was their side effect, but she loves to get out every day. I take them all in a group, like three miles. And that is as far as I can go with them by no. myself. So Baxter is more Phil, my boyfriend's dog. He's a, they're obsessed with each other and Baxter will only go a few miles with me. And then he kind of lags, but if we're all together, it's like we can go on a 10 mile run and everybody's, cruising you know like everybody goes That's... together in a group so but if i take all three of them when people see me running with them i'm like i maxed out at three miles with all of them it's too much like baxter has True. to be off leash whitney i'm you know she chases things forrester is like a little psycho not my little guy he'll chase after anything and i can't catch him he's too fast so i'm still working with him he is 17 months old now so he got you know once he turned a year he was able to start running and he's yeah. up to 17 miles already and it's not oh, wow. me and i always well, I tell know, people I, I go if you look at any of our videos he's pulling me i am not forcing this yeah. dog to run and i can't have him off leash because i can't catch him if he goes missing i mean i have he listens to a whistle and stuff but i get too nervous if i'm by myself if god forbid something happened and he took off after like a coyote or something you know and he would he's like a, he's totally opposite yeah. of truman he is like very like well, you, bossy <laughs> he's not afraid of yeah, anything well, you, 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 
you guys get out on some adventures. I was scoping one of your stories and it was a series of just uh, you out there trying to find a river crossing with him that you could cross without getting your feet wet <laughs> and just like kind of like, and I was like, cause I've been out to Bishop. I know the area and it's like, you don't necessarily, if you know where you are and you know where you started from, you don't necessarily need to be on trails in, in a lot of that area. And then you just link up to different trail networks, but it was really fun to watch you for lack of a better word, kind of bushwhacking with I him. And he was definitely, uh, <laughs> exactly. he, he was definitely, pull, he was, he was pulling you. I knew so. exactly where I was going. Yeah. He pulled it like, and I'm telling him to stop because he's going to trip me. I feel like once, you know, this, this year will be his first year going out like on big jaunts up to like Bishop pass and all that. Cause he's old enough now, you know, he wasn't a year old yep. last year. And so by the time, you know, I started wanting to take him up there, I was like, no, I want to ease him into it. He has the rest of his life. And even my vet's like, don't, push him too hard until he's like a couple of years old. And he actually was born with it called luxating patella. And it showed up when he was three months old. He wasn't running or anything or four months old. And I've already talked to an orthopedic surgeon. So he is going to have surgery for it. And it looks like he's skipping when he's running. Cause people are like, Oh, he's limping or skipping. And I go, no, he was born with luxating patella. I go, but the, his orthopedic surgeon even said, you can run as much as he wants. He's not in pain. He doesn't know he has it. It's just something that when he's running, his patella shoots out. And so they lift their leg up to pop, pop it back in. And there's yeah. nothing. It was, it's, he's fine with it. And so when I, people see that, like I'm his, like, he's, it's just he's his not thing, damaged. Huh? I'm like, I'm not damaging him. They're telling me I can do whatever I want, but he is going to have surgery and we're going to do it. I think in uh, like November. So that way, he can get through like some fun times all adventuring through the summer and going up on the passes and all of that. And then kind of letting him have his downtime to heal. Oh, so so he, he's going to have, he's going to have a standard off season, like, yes. like all of us ultra runners <laughs> should. So yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, But for well, now, you know what? Well, he, I, I, I never have it. I mean, I've had, what is he? My one, two, three. Well, with all of this, like my six stocks and, None of them have been runners like him. Like even Truman wasn't a runner. Yeah. Like Forrester is a runner. Like Truman would follow me right. and stay with me. He didn't. I always used to get sad. I'm like, oh, he's not confident. He doesn't want to be in front ever. Like Forrester, I can't get him to slow down. He's like pulling me. And I'm like worried about once we get out on the mountains, I'm like, shit. I'm like, that's how people die. They fall off a cliff because their dog tripped him up. So I'm like working with his. I mean, he's been through training and all that. I'm going to take him to a, a third advanced training to get him so he's help him listen better. You know, I just, it's, he's a lot of work. He's a handful. And I know yeah. as dogs get older, because I've watched it with Whitney when I first got her at 10 months old, when I rescued her, she was like a little bit of a handful, you know, and now she listens. Like if you're like, Whitney, come here, you know, she turns around and comes back to you, but it, nothing works with him. Like he, we live in a small little street with a uh, Bishop Creek goes behind our house and he just runs over to the neighbor's house. Nobody's driving up and down the road that would, you know, he would get run over, but he knows there's cat poop over on that side. And he's like, he won't listen. He doesn't care. He's like, bull, you know, and it's so funny. He's, cat, he's so fast. Cat, cat poop. <laughs> Cat poop to dogs are like snicker bars like to humans, gross. you know, like, like it's crazy. And, but anyway, and on the yeah. trail, I'm like, get it out of your mouth, get it out of your mouth. Like, I have to like pull him and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is like on uh, stuff like that. You can't even turn your head for a second. And you're like, what has he got in his mouth now? We were out uh -huh. on a run yesterday yeah. We were because he has a 5K, him and Baxter are running this series of 5Ks here in Bishop. 
and their second race is this Saturday. And there was this uh, deer uh, leg and he like, you know, I let him off leash for a little bit because wow. I, I could see him and I was with Phil and we could see him, but he ran straight for that and pulled it out of the bushes and was dragging it. I'm like, leave it alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. You kiss me with that yeah, mouth. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's still young and I know as dogs get older, they start transitioning. So. Mellow out. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he definitely is well, he's keeping me. Like I'm starting, I'm like, yeah, I got to work on some speed work because this guy is going to kill me. Like he is going so fast. So we're going to try to run faster this week and see if we can break his PR, which was the last time he ran. It was 31 minutes for the 5K. And it was only because I'm not that fast. (laughs) So, I mean, if he was running with somebody else, he could probably do under 30 minutes easily. So we're going to, we're going to try to go under 30 minutes if I can do it. (laughs) That's all. That's awesome. I mean, there's nothing fun better than like adventures and and fun with the fur exactly. babies for and sure. Just as, one piece of advice as some, for as someone who's had for people with dachshunds. Oh yeah, yeah. Because so, people always come to me and I'm like, I'm not a veterinarian, but here's what I know. But if you, even if anybody wants to run with their dog, the best advice I can give you is always talk to your veterinarian and have X-rays. They'll do spine and hip X-rays for any dog because they can be born with something genetic, like Forrester's. Luxating patella showed up and then I immediately took him to the vet and he's like, Oh, he's got luxating patella. I never even heard of it. And he goes, well, we'll wait to x-ray him. He goes, I can tell it. That's what it is. So we did x-rays once he hit a year old and he goes, Oh yeah, there's no problem. It'll be easy fix. But just before you start running with him, you could see if they have a genetic issue, you know, and, and I always tell people with dachshunds sure. for sure, don't, you know, run with them unless you're going to do the spine and hip x-rays because they, you know, with this inbreeding and he happens to be a puppy and I have all my other ones have been rescues except for my very first doctor was a puppy and he also was born with genetic issues. So it just goes to show you, you think you're getting it from a good breeder and then they end up with these, you know, from breeding, overbreeding, you know, so that I, yeah. I'm a true believer yeah. of getting rescues, but I felt like Truman sent him to me. It was a whole weird connection. So that's why I ended up getting a puppy. I mean, I would prefer not to have a puppy, but I, I love him and he's just been great, but yeah, definitely get x-rays and um, then start the running program. Cause you don't, you know, like I said, he had, was born with his. And so, and you don't want to damage them mm. and run them too soon. So that's another thing too. People message yep. me all the time. How old were you when you started running with your, and I go, he, I go, my vet would tell me don't run with him. I go, I'm not running with him. He pulls me. He's running. He doesn't walk. Like I would never run, but he pulls the whole time, even in the house. Like he runs darts through the house. We have me and my boyfriend are just like, he's psycho. He's a psycho nut. He doesn't, he's not a normal dog. Dogs walk like through the house. He doesn't walk. He bolts to the kitchen and he bolts back out of the kitchen. You know, like it's crazy. So yeah. So definitely don't, don't run them until after they're over a year old for smaller dogs. They usually say, and if they're larger, you got to wait a little bit longer. 14, you can have the dog the rest of your life. So you don't want to damage them and, and you can truly damage them, you know, running them too soon. So, and I did not damage him. He was born with this issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know like we, um, we're a big fan of, we're like kind of a German shepherd household. And when oh, yeah. we use, when we get, we don't have a dog right now and it'll be a minute. Cause I have a, I have a young son and, and he's, a, he's a handful enough right now to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you. But, um, I remember our last, the last breeder we got our dog from, she was like 
no stairs for eight months. No, like she had like a whole yeah. list of like the things that you just because it's just like, cause they have the hip issues yep. and like, you know, it's like you can, you know, even if you have a good breeding stock, like it just, it comes, it, they, these things do come up They're and like, young, you know, we, nothing's fused and yep. it's and all floating. Yep. And we have, you know, she had, she has her, her dog's x-rayed and we had our, our dog x-rayed and everything was fine. But like, yeah, we were, it was like, no, even with like the ears, because they cut the, they, they crop the, they, the, the ears will like, they flop when the, when the shepherds are young puppies and then they stand up on their own. But if you like, like kind of, I would say manhandle, if you like rough house with the ears too much, you can kind of break that cartilage up and then they'll oh, always stay flat. So oh, she's, she's like, she's like, no craziness with the ears for like four months, no stairs for eight months, no running for till to at least a year and then get x-rays at this, you know, at this time to make sure yeah. and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, I, I totally can, can resonate with that. And it's, it's unfortunate with, with breeding. I mean, like mutts are the best and there's a reason why they're yeah. the best because they have a little bit of genetic diversity there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, or you just don't know what you're going to get. Then you know so, that, they, or, you know, if they're like yeah. five years old, yeah. the, the issues are going to come up already, you know, if they're, yeah. if they're, so... All right, let's talk about Free Trail, the community of trail and ultra runners I have personally loved being a part of. If you are looking for a way to bring the trail and ultra community with you everywhere you go, you have to join Free Trail Pro. For only $96 a year, you get access to the Free Trail Slack community, training plans, deep discounts with brand partners, and access to the weekly office hour Zoom calls where we gather as a community to talk about specific run-related topics, as well as have special guest Q&As and so much more. These calls have been a highlight of my week. I cannot say enough. I love, love, love the Free Trail community. And if you want to support some of the best audio, video, and written content in our sport, visit freetrail.com and consider joining the Free Trail fam with a Free Trail Pro subscription. Hope to see you in the Free Trail Slack community. And when you introduce yourself, mention the Midpacker Pod. Okay, so enough about the fur babies. And I mm-hmm. want to be mindful of your time because I know you said you have a run yeah. you want to get to here soon. It's, um, it's okay. I, I, yeah, I want to touch longer. on this calendar. I want to I want to touch on this calendar that you have, and then um, you know we can we can let you, we can let you go. Yeah. But uh, the calendar, um, you know, <laughs> the calendar yeah, we may, well. <laughs> we, yeah, no, we, we could, we could have spent an entire hour of the pod talking about the calendar. Uh, and like, it just kind of, I mean, it's, 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 you know, starting in February and going to December and you have, and you know, at least one January or, with across the year, six yeah, day. <laughs> totally. And you have like, um, and, and then, yeah. And then, but you have like at least one, if not two to two, two events. Actually, there's know, three that just showed up. I forgot to tell you, there was another one I'm doing in March and it's a 48 hour race. I just remembered. <laughs> well, but but I guess my point is that like, you know, you keep the calendar pretty full. You race a lot. I mean, I race, you know, kind of in air quotes, right? Cause like yeah. you and I mean, like it's, it's I go and you, have you fun. love to, <laughs> you love to run, you love to have fun. And that's something we were talking about before is like, you know, I asked you, like, how do you, like, where do you feel like your longevity comes from? Um, and I'll let you, I'll let you answer that now, yeah. but like, then we, I want to jump into the calendar, but, um, you know, how do you feel like, cause like, I know when, when people ask me like, Hey, how often should I race? And I'm like, well, what are we talking about? Are you talking about racing and like running hard and like really pushing yourself? Yeah. Cause if that's the case, like four ultras a year, that's all you got. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's it. Because like, you're just gonna, you want to be able to keep showing up and you year after injured. year and it just, and it, it takes a, takes a toll on your body. Um, 
you know, how can you do, I mean, just tell, I, I need to know, like asking for My a friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Catch me, like, how do you, how do you, how do you continue to do this? Um, this, I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's 14 events here over the next like 10 months, so, which I think is amazing, but yeah, the go key ahead. Is cross training in a gym, lifting weights and okay. eating healthy. So I've been a vegan since I got sober. So I've been a vegan 29 years. I've been sober for 29 years. The day I got out of jail, I was already a vegetarian for many years. I decided to become vegan. But cross-training in the gym, and the older you get, I notice it's harder for me to keep muscle on because anytime I lose weight, it's like you lose muscle too. So you have to sure. start, you know, you have to lift, lift the heavier weights to keep everything strong around the joints and around the, the tendons and the, the bones and all of that. And the older I get, I realize it's harder to keep muscle on. I just, when I lose weight, I used to be able to see the muscle more. And now it's like, oh my God, I feel skinny, you know? And it's like, I never used to say that, but you know, I run a high mileage in the summer and it's mostly because I like going out on adventures. Like my friend from Canada comes once a year and we do like a seven day, whatever in the wilderness. So you're not like eating anything. You're carrying a pack and doing fun stuff. And then I start doing all the 200s in the summer. So then you're, you know, one after another, it's like you're out there and you're losing weight. And so I think just working out and definitely being mindful of like lifting weights, keeping muscle, keeping your body strong so you don't get injured, you know, doing stuff like, you know, I've never been a big stretcher, but going to the chiropractor, I have like the recovery pump boots thing that I use now. I'm a big fan of those. I have the massage guns and I try to go to massage once a month or, you know, before a race or after a race and do stuff like that. And so, you know, and eating healthy, I think that has a, th those things and genetics, I guess. I mean, you know, it's like probably all part of that. My oldest sister, who's 69, she's a professional bodybuilder. And then my brother is a personal trainer and mm. he's into bodybuilding too. So I have those two that I look at and I'm like, they never get, I mean, my sister's had like hip replacement, knee replacement, all that. She's not a runner, but it's just from her joints wearing out from the heavy lifting and all of that. But she's still doing it and competing against people half of her age, you know. And so, and my brother's crazy. big into fitness, you know. Neither one of them are vegan. <laughs> but my sister coaches too. And she comes to me when she has vegan clients that are doing like fitness and getting into bodybuilding. And she's like, what kind of vegan protein do you do? You know, she'll ask me questions well, well, there. Well, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you, what do you actually, what, what's your go-to for, for like, I guess, endogenous protein, right? Besides just like what you're eating in your meals, do you do like so shakes or anything like that? I do, but that's only like in the summer. I don't do a lot of protein shakes in the winter. It's so weird. I just don't, I just get everything I want from my foods. And I'm mostly, you know, for, there was a period of three years that I was just a fruitarian doing fruit. And actually that's the best I ever felt, but it got boring instead of being like a raw food vegan where you get more nutrients, you can do right. nuts, some, you know, raw nuts and things like that. But I did fr fruit for three years, super strict on that. And I would just do gels and races and eat fruit. But I, you know, and I lost a lot of weight doing that too. I maintained a weight, but I was, I felt thin, but sure. I never, ever felt weak. I never felt, but I got, like people said, why did you stop being a fruitarian? I go, I just got bored. Like I wanted to have some other choices and you, you know, it's too strict. It's way too strict. So I, I believe like 
you know, eat in moderation, like eat what you want. You know, if you're using food to fuel your body. So in the summer, I tend to eat a lot more fruit because it's readily available. It's that time of year that when it grows, uh, instead of getting all this imported stuff, and I eat a lot of vegetables, lots of like my main meals are big salads through the week. And then I eat a lot more cooked stuff. Like my boyfriend still likes to cook. I don't like to cook. That's why I eat a lot of salads, you know, and I'll put like tempeh on it or do tofu, you know, and add that as my protein. And I always put nuts yep. on my salad. So and nut butters, you know, things like that. I'm big into like, you know, I, I don't eat breakfast. And people always ask me, how do you go out and run? I go, well, I bring some gels or whatever, but I, in the morning, I don't, I've never been a breakfast person. So I kind of, I guess I do a fast until about noon is when I usually have a salad. So and it's just how my body works, you know? So, yeah. 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 And well, and that goes back to like, you know, our initial conversation is like, do, you know, it's important to do you, exactly. you know, and like understand yeah, like what's good, for, what what's works, good for you, you know? You know? So. People are like, Oh, how did, how, how did your running change when you became a vegan? I said, I have no idea. I was a vegan before I started running. So I don't know it any other way, you know, because right. some people will yeah. be like, Oh, I tried to do that and it didn't work. And I go, no, it, it would work, but maybe you were doing something wrong. You know, you can't just like quit overnight, not going from vegetarian, like, you know, but pe most people you, you talk to, they, They'll go on a thing like, oh, I'm going to try to be vegetarian or vegan for a month. And they say they do feel better, you know, but then they miss stuff. And I go, well, they have vegan. Like when I became vegan, there was no like fake vegan cheese. You had soy milk. And at the time I wasn't even doing soy. I had an intolerance to it. But I started seeing this chiropractor here and he does this thing where it helps with all these allergies. And he did his thing with me and I was able to start adding more soy so I could have uh, so, you know, tofu, but I mostly do like tempeh because it's um, fermented tofu and I like using that. Yep. And now we have like jackfruit if you want to have a fake meat, you know. So there's so many different things. But when, yeah, when I became vegan, there was not all these, I guess my whole life, it was like there was no, like I started running before there was internet. I started doing the fast packing before any, you know, there was internet. There was no, <laughs> I became vegan when there was no vegan, you know. It's like, but. Yeah, you learn. They definitely make they definitely make it easier to be vegan now. They sure, for sure. do. They really do. Yeah. You know, and it people can. That's why you hear of so many more people being vegan. You know, back in the day, it was just me and Scott Jurek. Like there was no other vegan. I can't. <laughs> right. I didn't know anybody that was vegan besides him. <laughs> Well, going back to your, your calendar, there's, I don't, I mean, I'm going to list, I'll list and link to all these yeah. events uh, in the show notes. So if people are interested in, in seeing the what's what and the who's who yeah. of, of, uh, of, of where, where you're going to be this year, I think a couple things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's definitely going to change for sure. It'll definitely get iterated <laughs> on for sure. I think a couple things that, that really stand out to me that I think are really interesting. And, and obviously this is also a bucket list for me too, but, and you mentioned doing it before, but it looks like you're going to go, you're going back to, to do the Tahoe rim trail and, and do a little fast pack. Yeah. Tahoe so rim my trail. friend Charlotte, so she lives in Canada and she comes out every, every year, every other year. And we do something. So we've done the JMT together last year. We did the high Sierra trail in an epic storm. <laughs> like it was a bad year to even uh. try to get out there. So I kept telling her, we got to go later in the year. We can't go any sooner than end of August. We were actually even going to go out on the Arizona trail like last year in May, but it, they have like so much snow. So we couldn't do it anything until later in the year. So we're, she, 
she, I kept telling her last year, I go, you know, it would be so much easier if we went out on the Tahoe Rim Trail. That's 175 miles. It's easier to, you don't need a permit or any of that to get, to go on it. You know, it's easy. You just need for that one section. There's a section you need to permit for, but you just do a walk up thing and sign in. So that's why I want to take her on it. So I've done that. I've done the Tahoe Rim Trail four times now. And so my fastest time, I did it with okay. my two friends and back in 2001, and we did it in 72 hours. At the time, it was like the woman's, we did it as a team of women, and it was a woman's record back in the day, you know, like doing the fast packing thing. And so we have my friend's boyfriend crew us, and he crewed us the whole way. And that was the very first time I ever did anything going over 100 miles other than like a 24 hour track run, you know, and doing like 112 right. miles. So that was, that was my introduction to getting into the wilderness. So doing that. So that was my first big thing. And this is, I have to go back again before there was signage before it was an actually completed trail. We did it with maps because it wasn't a hundred percent completed. We were out there when they were actually finishing off the last section. So, and it even went through a neighborhood at once upon a time. So we, yeah, so we, we did it and finished that. And so I want to take my friend Charlotte on it. Cause I go, Charlotte, we don't have to carry the big bear canisters. We don't have, we can go more yep. ultra light, you know, and, and be cool with it as long as, you know, we go at a decent time and there's water sources. So I want to take her on that. And she, the reason she didn't want to do it, she thought it was part of like the Tahoe, the Tahoe 200s. And I go, no, Charlotte, we're going to be on whole the whole trail you've not been on this whole trail so i wanted yeah. her to see it and, and the view the oh, and the views amazing. of the lake from like multi i mean basically you round every corner and you're just getting like these epic landscape yeah. views I, of, I think of she'll lake really tahoe like it. and, and then we don't have to carry the bear yeah. canisters we can g do yep. multiple like longer days without like hassle you know in this year is like ugh, you know 25 miles a day is what we do you know and i take her out there and she's not used to that kind of altitude so she was struggling when we did the JMT a couple of years ago. And then last year, I mean, just with all the snow we had, well, yeah, it was, it was epic. And then we got stuck in a storm and we were stuck in the tent for like, I don't know, 14 hours <laughs> like in the tent. That's on, that was on, that was on the high that road. Was, yes. And it was like, oh my God. Yeah. And the water was so scary. The Oh my God. We had it after that rainstorm. I knew we had to go back cause we were doing out and back and I, all I could think about is we're going to freaking die. We have to go back over these logs. We went, they're going to be underwater now. How are we going to get across the river? You know, so we met a group of other people that were going the other way. And so we went, we decided we would all go together for safety. But yeah, it was, that's the one thing that scares me in the mountains is water. Like I am fine, water and lightning. Like, but water is no joke. I mean, I, on the JMT with people around me, I flipped up. I was holding onto this rope that somebody strung across and I flipped up tight down with my pack on and went underwater. It was so scary. I thought I was going to die, but I mean, there was people there to help me, but I thought, you know what, when I come to water crossings, if I'm nervous when I'm doing stuff by myself, cause even I'll go out on runs and I'm like, you know, like how was the the crossings for the JMT this year? You know, I I research it now in advance because I've been where it's pretty dangerous where I have to wait for somebody to come along to go across with to, for safety. I'm like, I want somebody to be able to tell somebody I died, you know, <laughs> or they can you know, 
let yeah. somebody know. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, and once it depending on how fast the water is moving, like once it goes, you know, past your up to the, up to your thigh, like past your knee, and gets up to your waist, like things it get it can get. It's all good until yeah. it's not, and it can get really dicey it very can. quickly. Yeah, and that's for why sure. It's like so, you've got to learn how to um, cross. There's, I've watched a lot of videos, like God, the, the last year when all those PCT, there was like groups of five doing these side steps going through, and I'm like, these people know what they're doing. Like somebody in the group, you know, that was the only way you were going through the Sierra yeah. last year is if you were with people that knew what they were doing. Those were the, and nobody died yeah. last year. Nobody died, which was amazing to me. Not yeah, even on the JMT. I was like, you know what? I think people respected the 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 situation of last year because years in the past, when there were snow years, there was people. A lot of people have died, and I think they're finally going. You know what? Yeah. People aren't just fear mongering you. They're telling you that for a reason. Like, don't do it unless you have people that have knowledge on how to cross in the snow. How to you have to have an ice axe and you have to have crampons, not Catullus bike. But crampons, you know, to go in the snow. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. We're going to do the talk. Well, listen, there's, there's, that's awesome. Yeah. And there's, there's, so there's two other things I want to touch on and then um, I'll let you get to your run. Um, You're going to run the quad dipsy for the 25th time this year. Um, at least your 25th finish. Mm-hmm. I think that's epic. It's a race I've always wanted to do. I've ran the traditional Dipsy route, like from the bookstore all the way down to Stinson. Um, I've done a double. Uh, I never, I, and these are all things yeah. I just did on my own. You know, I never like did the actual races because getting into the Dipsy is definitely yeah, not that easy. I think the quad's a little bit easier to get, get into. into. The single's <laughs> really difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, but 25 runnings and, and like, I guess, what are the numbers? So it's 20, it's like, it's 28 miles and it's like 10,000, like 10,000 feet yeah. of, of vertical. And then, yeah. And then you have oh, the yeah. stairs and the stairs are like no joke. Many, I mean, I should know no. all this stuff. I've run it so many times. All I know is a lot of climbing and it's a lot of like last year yeah. I didn't really train. And I was like, Oh my God. You know, cause the year before I did, so I had done these all in a row, mind you. Except for obviously COVID, they didn't have it, but I still run around that day. But I had run the race every single year. But in 2022, after Truman passed away, I decided not to run and I was just not in the right space. But I, you know, then of course I'm like regretting it, but I just wasn't in the space to run it. And so I took that year off and then came back last year and I was like, okay. I need to get going back under seven hours. It took me like eight hours and 10 minutes. And I was like, ah, I would love to do it. Like in, you know, it's 645 to 715. So now I decided for my, you know, running it for my 25th time that I'm going to definitely try to train like to do a good time. <laughs> Cause that's not something I normally do, but I, you know, I feel like yeah. you should challenge yourself once in a while. Cause we were talking about my, you know, why I've been able to yep. do this for so long. But I'm like, you know what? I should push a little harder, you know, just try to push like, you know, to see what I can do. So, you know, and as you get older, you got to train for it. Like before I just roll out and do it and I was fine. But I'm like, yeah, I think I have to train to, for my speed again. So <laughs> for those downhills, like I'm fast on the uphill because yeah, I go uphill all the time around here. But running the downhills, it's like as you get older, you get a little more cautious, you know, and. Yep. Well, this and the the steep ravine oh, stairs no are no doubt. joke too. Like, is that downhill? It's like you you have to be if you want to run a good time. You have to be fast, and they're like the most 
winding, yep. crazy, ridiculous airs. You're obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. moving people over coming up. for them yeah. because they're in lead, you know. So there's the the common courtesy you move over. So it, and then you get behind a train of people, and it's yeah, it's not an easy race unless you're really fast. You could be like way out there, and not have to. I'm around people the whole time, except by the time I get to my last lap, I'm not around anybody. So I feel like I'm able to move, you know, faster because you're almost done. <laughs> Uh, the quad dip, mm-hmm. man. I, one day, like I live on the East coast now, so I'm no longer on the West coast. And one day I'm just, there's like, I'm going to, I'm going to mark off all the things that I never did from the bucket list standpoint. Yeah. And, and you got to go do it. I always tell just, people don't just, wait. Just go knock them Cause, off. So, cause yeah. it ne- may never come, you know, it's like, you don't know where you're going to be. You know, when you really want to do totally. something, you should be like, okay, I understand like people have kids, they have a job, whatever. But even as you get older, like I tell people, don't wait. If you want to run a 200, you're 50 years old, whatever, do it now. Don't wait because all of a sudden you might get an injury. You're getting older. You're not getting younger. You better do it now before it's too late. And then you have regrets. And that's why I think I race so much. How you're talking about my calendar is I want to do this for as long as I can. And I know one day I'm not going to be able to do it like that. So do it now while I can. And I have the opportunity to do it. You know, that's like, and, a lot of it to do to is I want to show women in their later fifties. Now I'll be 60 this year in December. And it's like, people are like, Oh, I'm too old. And it's like, no, you're not <laughs> like that is just an excuse. Like we make excuses. I said, I don't yeah. I've never made an excuse, you know? And I go, I'm going to be 60. And that's why next year all the, I want to do a bunch of other races. And we talked about the, the monster, the 300, and I'm going to do the triple crown again, all the, 200s all candace's 200s plus the 300 miler and bad water thrown in as part of my sprinting 60 <laughs> yeah epic yeah well we may have to i may have to have you back on yeah. the pod next year just to talk at the end of the season to talk about some of this stuff and i, I definitely want i mean you mentioned the 200s like you know you're kind of like the unofficial queen of the 200 miles a miler because you've done the you've done the You've done the official. <laughs> yeah, you've done a bunch of them. You've done the Grand Slam. Um, <laughs> you know, they're the going to be a third yeah. time next year on uh, uh, for sixty, and then you know the three hundred, the the Arizona Monster, something that uh, I think you know it's been in the works. Candace yeah. has been in the works with that she for some has, time, for but I know it's years, officially talked about it because you know even when we were on the Arizona Trail, when I was helping her with her uh, trying to go for the record on the Arizona Trail. That's when that all came to light. She was like, there needs to be a 300 miler. There needs to be something, you know, out here along the Arizona trail. So, and now she's got it all set up. So I'm going to go and fast pack it with her, the whole trail, like sometime this year. So, and go out because they already did a pre thing of it. And she goes, would you want to do it? And I said, absolutely. So I'm going to go out there and do the 300 miles and check it out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it's again, like when I think about, uh, I think we, we were talking about this before, like I am, I'm not as attracted to the 200 and the 300 mile distances because for me coming from like a backpacking background, an ultralight backpacking background, I'm like, if I'm going to spend, if I'm going to earmark seven days of my life and take a vacation, like I'm going to go do the Sierra high route. I'm going to go do something yeah. where like, it's just me and maybe a partner or me by myself um, you know, in the, in the back country. And, um, you know, I totally appreciate people that, that love to do, uh, to do the See, 200. I like so, doing both because, things. <laughs> yep. 
So, but yeah, and uh, like I said, women, I want women in their fifties to see that you can keep going. You know, it's like, I've been doing this since 19 running since 1996 and here we are 2024. So, you know, it, with no knock on wood, no actual running injuries. I've been injured, like climbing El Cap, broke my arm, like other stuff, but never an actual, like, oh my God, I can't run because I'm injured from running, you know? Right. Other than well, straight catch and a... <laughs> Yeah, like your stand, the standard stuff, right, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, catch I want to be, I want to be mindful of your time. You went long with me today. Um, oh, no worries. I have, I have, I have, for a new, I have a new um, rapid fire question that I'm going to add, okay. but I have four rapid fire questions for you. We can go real quick with them. And the first one is ultra marathon man or born to run? Born to run. Okay, cool. That's the consensus. I don't, I, I guess it's just the, the people that I picked to be on the pod. We're all born, well, to, we're, we're all born to run people. Oh, <laughs> that's mean... right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, favorite distance to race. 200 miles. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Um, yep. Favorite thing to eat, favorite post-race meal, like when you can eat real food, you know, a solid meal after you get done finishing an event. What's, like what, what's your go-to? Day? Okay. Yeah. A little, a little, I, like, to, little, little, I always little get that after quite <laughs> Yeah. Okay. But we don't have that in Bishop or I make a diet pizza. Like a okay. vegan pizza. Yeah. 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 Gluten-free. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. You're like gluten-free vegan pizza. Everyone like it's either pizza or burgers on this pod. If, if when I ask this question, it's either pizza or burgers. So yeah, it's whole uh, day because I love that. Yeah. I miss not uh, having one around. Well, the app is the app game is strong with Chipotle. Like even before COVID, I would use the app. I would go on a long run. I would be coming back from a long run destroyed, and I'd be in the car. I'd order the food. I'd walk in. I'd pick it up. I wouldn't have to say a word to anybody. And before I'm even back in the car sweaty and disgusting i'm like already <laughs> inhaling the burrito so um oh, I yeah shout out, shout out to five Chipotle, years ago so. when i was in the bay area i could do that <laughs> yeah. um and then the last question actually it'll be two two it'll be yeah the last question this is something that my previous guest like messaged me and said hey you should add this what's your favorite trail to run on if you're willing if in in your local area if you're willing to uh to tell us, you know what I mean? Obviously, if you don't want to give up local secrets. No, I would but... get, well, and it, it can only be done like in the, the summertime and I couldn't do it last year, but it would be the, um, the North to South Lake route. And it goes, they, they call it the, they have another name that it's like, a they call it a hundred K, but it's not, it's 58 miles. But I like to start from going up over Bishop Pass and then you go down and then you get on the GMC PCT you go up over Muir Pass, and then you go out of Paiute, up over Paiute Pass, and then down, and it's 58 miles. So it's not really a point-to-point. Point, it's like a horseshoe. But I want to connect it because you can go on the road, and my friend told me there's a trail that we're going to cross country and try to do it as a whole loop. So it'll be like 70 oh, very, miles. Very cool. And that's it's called the North. They call it the North to the South Lake Loop. The North to South Lake Loop. If you look on, like, Google it, it's the North to South Lake Loop. A lot of backpackers cool. do it all summer long yeah, it's a no, very, regular very trail cool. hikers go on and the, you know you're out there running and they're like where are you where did you come from where are you going <laughs> it's like oh we're doing a training run <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I love the looks on people when you're out there, out there, you know, not like your local trails where everyone no. can kind of get access, but when you're out there, out there and, and a backpacking group sees you and you've got like, you're like pretty minimal cause you're going fast and people are just like these people, you know, they just have the look on their face. Yeah. Like they, like they've so seen like, a, you aliens, you know, so. you know, and the funny yeah, exactly. thing is <laughs> nowadays with social media, people will say, Oh my God, you're that girl that does ultra marathons. <laughs> are you, you know, all right. <laughs> the, the funny thing is I'll meet people that have met me on the John Muir trail like 10 years ago. They're like, you're that girl that I met on the top of such and such a path. Or I'll be on Whitney. And they're like, I met you four years ago over here. <laughs> you know, it's just random. Oh. The world of social media. Um, we're so connected. We're, we're, we're so divisive, but so connected. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, um, well, yeah, Katra, I, I so appreciate your time today yeah, on the pod. Thank um, you for is there any last It's is, been fun. Yeah, you're very welcome. Is there any last words you want to leave the audience and then definitely feel free to shout out um, your social handles and where people can find you? Yeah. Um, you know what? If there's something you want to do, do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know, like, mm-hmm. don't be afraid. You know, if you say you want to run a 200, but you don't feel like you can, you can. You got to believe in yourself. So the, the, the message is believe in yourself because you can do it. So, and my social media handles are Instagram, Dirt Diva, three, 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 threes. Um, and I'm on Facebook, Catra Corbett. And then I'm going to start a YouTube, um, soon. And I'm on, uh, TikTok, Dirt Diva three and Twitter or X, Dirt Diva 33. And, CatraCorbett.com okay, cool. is my website. If you want to order the book, you can order it directly from me or you can, uh, audio audible has it. So I know a lot of runners don't have time to read. I'm one of those that like, I download a lot of books. And so it's great inspiration. I get told all the time that people have listened to me on the long run or in a race. So download it and, and you'll be done before you know it. <laughs> Love that. And uh, definitely make sure we link to all that in the show notes. So. Thank you. All right. Well, if you're still here, thanks for sticking around to the end. Uh, a few things and a couple call to actions. If you could uh, do any of these things, it would be a big help for us. So first, follow us on Instagram at the Midpacker Pod. And if you if you like this episode, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this episode from your podcast feed on your podcast player and upload it to your stories on Instagram. Tag the Midpacker Pod leave a comment on the post about how amazing you think the pod is. We'll share it on our IG. It'll really help to spread the word about the podcast and grow our audience. And it'd be really appreciated if you, if you value the content, you know, you can help us out that way. Uh, if you like the show and you haven't already, please consider giving us a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening on. It really does help uh, increase our searchability on the algorithm. It puts us in front of uh, other people that like trail and ultra running. And so, um, you know, these are two things that you can do to, to really help spread the word about the pod. You know, if you value the content, um, I definitely value each and every one of you that listen every single week. Uh, and, and yeah, I am just super, super grateful. Um, also if you're interested in supporting any of our sponsors, you can find links and codes in the show notes. I'm super stoked to bring this content to you all every single week and and uh, as always thank you for your support and we'll see you next time on the midpacker pod